Good morning. Peace be with you. Man, I'm so grateful uh, to be preaching today, and I just, again, I want to express thank you, pastors, for allowing me to preach, and church for enduring, uh, as you hear me preach today as well. I just am so grateful, uh, and I do not take this lightly, as Pastor Barry so kindly mentioned. But what a passage, right? We're in the series where we're examining the last hours of Jesus and his love for his people, and then he gives you that message, it's strange. And I love how Pastor Barry was talking about the class because I think I have this like theological conviction. It's super simple. The Bible is hard. Like, right? Like, I, I, I think I like, I want to say that every time I preach. The Bible's hard, guys. It's really hard. And sometimes I think it's hard to understand because it just requires a lot of prior knowledge. We're not like necessarily well-versed in ancient Jewish culture from the Old Testament and first century Jewish culture and all the things that go into that. But sometimes, I think the Bible is hard because it contains words that are extremely alarming. And I think today's passage is a prime example. It's alarming. I think we have to like put in perspective of what's happening. Jesus has left his final meal before he takes the cross and he's entering into the most agonizing hours of his life on earth. He just explained that abiding in him is going to bear a lot of fruit, and it will cause personal and global change. And that's what Dan talked about last week. But then he levels with his disciples. He tells them that they're going to be hated. It says this in Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. And actually, in that whole section, notice how many times he uses the word hate. It's like seven times. He's trying to get your attention Jesus continues and he adds to the bad news by telling them in John 16, 2 through 4, that they're going to be put out of public places of worship. They're going to be killed and think that people who are killing them, they're going to think that they're offering service to God and they're actually doing the true work of God. And while the suffering and persecution is happening, the disciples are going to remember what Jesus had told them. I told you it would be this way. You're going to be hated. And this text historically has, I, th I think, is from all the commentaries that I was able to engage with, it's been taken um, as a word to the disciples in the garden at that moment and simply transferred to Christians throughout history. This notion of being hated and persecuted by the world around us for being Christian was a reality for the disciples. It was. Read the book of Acts if you want to see what their lives were like. And you could, there are other books in history showing what the early church dealt with. And they suffered and died. And still, this is going on today in many hostile parts of the world. We can read about them in articles, missionaries in certain countries where Christianity is not welcome there. But if I'm honest, I have never actually faced persecution and death threats for my faith as a Christian. I never have. 
And this may be like this idea of you being threatened or persecuted. It may be a part of your story, but just in my context, it's not mine. And I think that it would be safe to say that most people in here, this isn't necessarily your experience either. The vast majority of our suburban lives just don't, we don't have that experience. And I'm not trying to belittle that. I'm just trying to point out the reality. But we do have troubles and sorrows in our lives. All I'm pointing out here is that the story of the disciples in the garden may not be our story. Although it could come to that one day. But what is clear is that there's an alienation from the world that the disciples and all Christians will face because of what Jesus said. You're not of this world. The world simply didn't understand Jesus because he was not of this world. And in the same way, you will be misunderstood because you are not of this world. You were chosen out of it, as verse 19 says. The world sees your life and your faith in God as simply strange. It's strange, if we're honest. You worship a God you don't see. You have faith in a God who doesn't explain everything. And we live in a world of knowledge now where we think we have to have clear, definitive explanations of everything. And your God doesn't explain everything? And belief in God is not measurable or reasonable. One famous author, Madeline Langle, you may know her, she wrote A Wrinkle in Time. She actually speaks into this a little bit. She says, the idea that the power that created all the galaxies, all the universe, everything, willingly limited that power to come be born as a tiny baby to show us how to be human. That was not reasonable of God at all. So if we try to approach faith with reason, you bang into stone walls. Faith is not reasonable. It is marvelous. Faith is what keeps life exciting and wonderful. And the world simply just doesn't understand that. They can't arguably understand that. And this will ultimately lead to belittling, disenfranchisement, and even ridicule. So we get some measure of that hatred, but we may not experience hatred of the world like the disciples hearing this message in John 15 and 16. But God inspired John to write the story and to share in the last hours before Jesus takes the cross. And as I've meditated on this passage this week and studied it over the week, I think this passage has a fascinating part in the conversation. And it's not just the content. I actually think what's fascinating about this text for our people today is the timing. Look at 16 verse 4, John 16 verse 4, it says this, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. And then look at this next line, it's so interesting. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. As I was studying and reading this, that line, I did not tell you this from the beginning. The line is striking because it gives us some insight into something that Jesus was doing. Jesus expressed to his disciples whom he deeply loves that he knew what was going to happen to them. He knew it, and he knew it from the beginning. 
Now, I don't know if that was the beginning of his ministry or even further back, but he knew. And he didn't share that information with them. He didn't do it. Jesus withheld, he withholds this information from his disciples. He intentionally kept these things from him. He didn't tell them. And I don't know about you, but studying and thinking about this was unsettling to me. Jesus withholds things from his disciples. How could Jesus do this? This is the Jesus who just got finished telling his disciples they're going to bear fruit, that he loves them so much, abide and remain in his love, and even go as far to tell them, pray about anything that you want in my name and I'm going to give it to you. How could he give them so much access and information and he withheld from them that they were going to be hated and killed? How could he withhold this? I actually think this idea of withholding that Jesus is doing is uncomfortable, at least for me, because it's something that I can identify with. Maybe you can too. I want to invite you into the same question that I have been pondering all week from this passage. Here's the question. Where do you feel like God has withheld from you? Where do you feel like God has withheld from you? Let's just sit there for a moment. Maybe if you journal, if you write, it, write that question down, maybe take some moments to write it down, put a note in, or just think about it. Maybe this is your story right now, like you're in the season of it. Or maybe you've come out of that season. Where do you feel like God is withholding from you? Where is God holding out? And I, as I process this, I, I want to share two stories in my own life where I have felt this withholding. The first I, was when I was a kid. Um, some of you may know this. At, at the age of seven, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And it is something I have lived with my entire life. And it has caused a lot of pain and sadness and anxiety in my life and in my family. And I remember at a time, I was like, I remember vividly, I was 14 years old. And I was, I had been praying for, I was like, God, please heal me of this. I grew, I, I grew up in a church family and I just desperately, I knew God could heal me. And I prayed, God, you can heal me. And at one point, at the age of 14, I threw all the medical devices on the table and was like, I'm done. I'm, I don't care. I was at that point. And my family saw that too. And I just remember feeling frustrated and sad that God was withholding this from me. I even had friends who tried to comfort me and say, you just gotta have more faith. You just gotta have more faith, man. And I wrestled with that. I'm like, well, how do I get more faith? And I was just distraught over that. In more recent history, I have permission from my wife, Chelsea, to share this, but our family experienced a miscarriage. We had never experienced anything like that before. 
I remember walking through it, being crushed, and asking God, why would you take this from us? What are you doing? Why would you withhold this child from me? And maybe your story involves something similar. I actually asked some, some close friends about places in their lives where they felt like God has withheld from them. And it's amazing. Their responses were in so many different areas. One of them said financial and career success. Like they expressed that they, in their stage of life, feel like they should be in a, be in a better place to financially provide for their family or that they should be more well-off or advanced in their career and they feel like God has withheld that from them or closed doors on them. For some, it's like my story, personal healing or healing of a family member going through sickness and potentially death, praying for God to heal and he withheld. For some, it, I, they express family goals, like having kids and a family. And God withheld that from them and is continuing to do that. And it's created disappointment and anger and frustration with God. Even, I've even talked to people who are married and who have kids. And it's interesting because they feel like they were withheld information about what it would actually be like. Right? That's comedy hour, I guess. Right? It's, it's hard. They, they thought like having kids, they had this vision of their life and they're like, God, you withheld that information from me. You didn't tell me it would be like this. I don't have the spouse I wanted. For some, it was like singleness, wanting a husband or a wife, desperately desiring it and God withholding that from them. And they're just like, I want this good thing. It is so good. And if you notice, none of these things are innately bad. God's withholding this from them. And it's hard. And there's loneliness. The message of John 15 18 through 16, 15, may not be directed at all of our situations, but the timing, the sorrow, and the withholding of information from the Lord feels awfully familiar. We have all felt this if we're really honest. And the world feels it too. God has withheld so many things from humanity that it desperately desires. Some of those answers and signs of their purpose and existence. God, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? And God is silent. Justice. The world desires justice for all the oppression in the world. There are tyrants who are ruling and they are oppressing people. God, why don't you just end it? You could. Maybe on the flip of that, mercy. There are people who are suffering and being oppressed. God, you could end it all. Personal security and freedom from anxiety. God, just make us feel safe. You can do it. The natural result of feeling like God is withholding from them has led to confusion, 
misunderstanding, and even hatred for God and everyone who would confess faith in him. The question of the world for us as Christians is, how could you worship a God who would withhold all these things from the world that he claims to love? It's a hard thing. The idea that God withholds knowledge and things from his people is just uncomfortable and hard. I've felt that. Maybe you have felt that too. But this is where our theology, right? That's a fancy word for saying our belief in God really meets challenge. This is where we, we claim this idea, this truth about a belief in God's knowledge. We believe in a foundational truth that God is omniscient. That's just another fancy word for saying that he knows everything. And nothing can happen or exist outside of his knowledge. And all of that is great. And we would say yes and amen to that. But we say that in the abstracts. Maybe you are like me and you've, you have comfort, tried to comfort people in their sorrows and saying, oh, God knows. God knows what you're going through. He knows everything. God knows what's happening in the world. All of that is great in the abstract, but what about the personal? Is God omniscient of me? Is God omniscient of you? What I mean is this. Does God know more about you and me than we actually know about ourselves? It's hard for us to wrap our heads around this. I know it's hard for me that the idea that God would know more about my hopes and dreams, my desires, my capacity, and my schedule, and my motives even more than I do. And the same is true for you. What if God knows more about your desires, your capacity, your life, what you really need in life more than you? Jesus actually gives his reasons for withholding this information from the disciples in John 16, 1. He says this, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. He had a reason for withholding. The words of Jesus to his disciples are confusing and riddled with all kinds of questions, but the primary point is that Jesus withholds these things from them because he loves his disciples. His silence in keeping these things from his disciples shows his knowledge of their hearts. And if he, give, he would have given that information at the wrong time, they would have walked away. And Jesus wanted to keep his people because he loved them. It's like a parent with their children. A loving parent withholds from their kids because it may not be the best thing for them. Or it may be something they just cannot handle right now. My daughter yesterday asked if she could have 30 juice boxes. No. That's a true story. It really happened. It's not that I, I withheld the juice boxes because I love her. And I also love our sanity. 
And that's actually kind of cathartic that, that God loves you like a parent. Because Jesus loves you with the same love that he has for the disciples. He loves you in ways that only you, that only he may know that you need. You may not even be aware of what you need, but he does. And he loves you in ways that only he may know that you need at any given moment. At the end of this text, in John 16, 12 through 15, Jesus does something beautiful. Jesus knows their hearts are full of sorrow at his departure and the pain that they will face in the near future, and he doesn't patronize them or belittle them. Proverbs 25, 30 says this, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. In the message, Eugene Peterson expounded on this saying, singing light songs to the heavy hearted is like pouring salt in their wounds. Jesus doesn't do this. Instead, he shows them love and dignity in their sorrows. He gives them little glimpses of assurance of his presence through all of the hardships. The same thing is true with God in our lives. Although he withholds information in things that we desire, no matter how good, Jesus does not withhold the presence that he gives us, and he does not withhold his Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus communicates throughout the entire conversation. In John 15, 26 through 28, the Holy Spirit will be a helper, encourager, and advocate for you. In John 16, 7 through 11, shows that the Spirit is going to convict and show us all things concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. In 16, 12 through 15, the Spirit is going to guide them in truth and remind them of what Jesus has proclaimed. So when we feel like God is withholding from us, we can press into the same Holy Spirit that Jesus promised his disciples, and he will teach us things and reveal things and remind us of the love of Jesus in the hardest times and circumstances in ways that no one else could ever imagine or know. His love will be made known to us in deeper, transforming ways because he knows us and he is with us. Our growth and our change will only happen when we experience challenges and hardships with God's presence. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. We are not greater than our master. His suffering led to resurrection and newness, and our suffering of times of withholding will lead to transformation and newness of life. So as we close today, I want to give you some practices to help us as we engage with the Holy Spirit, as we navigate sorrows, and when we feel like God is withholding from us. I have some practices. They're super simple. The first one practice I want you to navigate this withholding is pray honestly. I have this problem when I pray that I want these deep theological prayers that I have to you know, make sure everything aligns but I don't, I don't know if that's what God had in mind when he wants us to pray. I actually, I, when I say pray honestly, I want you to speak out loud to God your grievances. 
If you, are, if you like to journal, write down your grievance. Write down what God is withholding from you. Write it down. Write it down. The areas in, you, in your life where you feel like God is withholding from you. And then pray for the Spirit to teach you. God, I don't know what you're doing. This is what I'm feeling. Pray for the Spirit to work in you. The book of James, it says, if you lack wisdom, pray. God will give it to you freely. Just pray for wisdom. Like, spend that time. Carve out time in your morning or your evening or whatever part of the day you can get alone with God. So the first thing is pray honestly. Second, hear from God. Pastor Barry was talking about the importance of Scripture. This is where hearing from God is you place Scripture in your path each day. You, gotta, you have to have it as a part of your mindset every day. Meditate on a passage or a verse. Like, think about it. Chew on it. Listen to sermons or podcasts. Whatever helps you remember the words of Jesus. Come pray on Wednesday mornings as they're praying through the Psalms. The Psalms are full of honest prayers, by the way from people feeling like God is withholding. Pray through the Psalms. Read through them. Let the word of God soak richly in you. So pray honestly. Hear from God. The third thing is engage with your friends and community. When we feel like God is withholding and you're full of doubts and sorrows, go to friends who are also filled with the Holy Spirit. Your faith is not an individual faith. You're not alone. You have other people wrestling with withholding as well. You have other people who are striving to grow and walk with the Holy Spirit. You need those people in your life. Let their presence be transformative to you as you are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And be, this is the hardest part, this is my hardest part. I don't want to put it on you. Be open to change. You may be flawed. I know I am. I'm flawed in my thinking and my feelings all the time. My wife gets to hear them all the time. So be, be open to being changed. You may be flawed in your thinking and feelings. And this is the beauty of having friends who are filled with the Spirit because they're going to love you and they're going to be patient with you and they're going to let you unload on them and they're still going to be there tomorrow. Because the Spirit's working on them too. Because there's going to come times when they need to unload on you. And you're going to have to love them and be patient with them. Because they're in process too. So pray honestly, hear from God, and engage with friends and community. This is why it's important for us to be at church together. Because we get to do all three of these things together here. Now, in closing, we, we turn our attention to the last practice Communion. This was instituted as a spiritual practice to remind us of the love of Jesus. You are being reminded that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed because he loves you. In the same way that Jesus does not withhold the Holy Spirit from his disciples, so the Father did not withhold giving his Son to love you and ransom your soul. And his body 
and blood were given so that you would know that he loves you deeply, even in seasons of withholding. Would you pray with me? Father, when you are working and withholding things from us, God, you, it is a time for us to, to lean into you and you have a purpose in it. We pray that you would help us to see your glory. We pray that you would work in us through your spirit. Help us to hear from you, engage with our friends, and be honest in our prayers, Lord. Your character is on the line, Lord, and we know that your character never fails and your love never fails. And we pray that you would teach us these things during seasons of withholding. I pray this and pray for our church. Help us to grow in the work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.